We're going to be over in Matthew chapter 9, and we are going to take a look at a story, actually uh, several, uh, a couple of them, two different healing situations that go on here. How many of you have ever been under the bondage of thinking, I don't know that God would heal me because there's parts of my life that are not brought into obedience yet? Anybody ever think that? I've, I've got this in my life and I need to bring this in. God's already dealt with me on this. I need to bring this into obedience and I haven't done that yet and that's why I'm sick. That's why some... Anybody ever thought that? Go ahead and raise your hand though. I don't mind. Yeah, yeah we, we, that's, it's a bondage we can get into. So here's what we're going to look at today. I, I was looking at this for a little while trying to... All right, why is this in here? Because it is such a short story. It's not, it's not very long. There's not a whole lot of details to it. And I kept looking at this and said, there's got to be something inside here that, that, that we need. And this is, this is it. This story will help us with that very thought. Will God heal you if you are not in complete obedience with what he has told you? So, Mark chapter 9. We're going to be over verse 27. That's where we're going to start. Last week we are looking at the man with the many demons, the legion. Was the name? We learned that we don't fear the devil, but don't mess with his stuff. Don't be playing around with the devil's stuff. Get out of his territory. And unless God sends you there on assignment, don't be going on his territory. Jesus got sent on an assignment into the territory, and he took care of the territory. Don't be if don't be don't let it be fear that keeps you away. Well, I'm not going to get involved in that because I'm afraid that if I get involved in that, the devil will do this. That's fear. That's wrong. Do it out of obedience. God, I don't need to be on the devil's stuff. I don't be messing with his things. Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. Now, one of the things you will notice about the Gospels is this. Whenever there is a story, an episode of healing in the Word of God, most of the time, when these three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record the same healing encounter, if there is a difference in who was there, it is always Matthew that is different. Always. Even in the story we looked at last week, Mark has one demon-possessed man. Matthew has two. There are many times that uh, even when blind Bartimaeus shows up, the rest don't talk about blind Bartimaeus. Matthew talks about two blind men. And I haven't got a real straight answer why that is yet, so I'm going to keep working on that. And when we get to some of the other ones, where we'll, we'll see that. We'll, I'll hopefully have that answer for you as to, to why that is exactly. But here we have two. Now, this is, he's the only one who covers this. Do not mistake this and think that because Matthew is talking about two blind men, then later on when two blind men are talking about the same story, it is not. Because Matthew actually records this here, and three chapters down the road, he's going to record two blind men again. So apparently, blind men travel in pairs. I mean, it makes sense to have a buddy there with you, maybe to, to help you out with some stuff. But these are two blind men. This is not any of the other stories that are in the Bible that talk about two blind men. This one seems to stand on its own. And Matthew seems to be the only one to record it, that helps us record that. So he says here, when Jesus departed from there, now that's where Jairus lived because Matthew chapter 8 talks about the story with Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood. He just finishes that. So it says here, when Jesus departed from there. 
So Matthew is telling you, once we got done over that there at the Jairus and the daughter was raised, he's leaving from that area. And as he departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying. Now remember, he was only, where Matthew is saying there is, he was only there because Jairus led him there. He had no other purpose to be there. So once he was done with Jairus, he probably leaves. And when he departed there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. Now, I had to go back into my own Greek on this one because no one really breaks down Matthew that I, that I have access to. And this is not done the way that we... The place last time we were in Mark chapter 5, the very tense of the Greek told us that Jesus kept on saying... It was right there in the verb. That is not the case this week. And this week it is a little bit different. But you can still find it. You could still find it in the English. But I went back to the Greek because I wanted to check this out and see what is going on in this particular situation. So, look how it's worded here. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying. Now, the word there, followed, is in the past tense. It's in the past tense in the English, isn't it? They translated it just exactly how it is. It's in the past tense, but the words crying and saying are in the active present tense. So I dug out all the stuff I could from all the studies I've done in Greek. And here's what it, this is what's going on. He is talking about in the past tense and the crying and saying is in the present tense. What it is saying is, the following him was in the past tense, but while they were following him in the present tense, they kept saying. Does that make sense to you? He's saying while they, the following was going on, the following had a beginning, the following had an end. But while that following was going on, they kept saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. Now, that sounds just like what blind Bartimaeus said. If you, if you know what blind Bartimaeus is, the story with that, it's exactly what he said. This is not that story. That is a different one. Son of David, have mercy on us. So they kept saying this, and I was meditating. Once I cracked that and meditated on this for a little while, I thought, you know what? This is exactly what Christians do today. How many people think that God will finally hear us for our many words or our loud words? Oh, we got to pray harder. Oh, we got to pray hard on this. We got to make sure that we break through on, on this one. And that's what they're doing. But I want you to notice this. As the entire time they followed him, he paid them no attention. They cried out, they said, and he paid them no attention. Sounds similar to the, uh, Samar- the, the woman from, um, oh, I just forgot the town, not Samaria. But uh, she was crying out after him too and and he didn't pay any attention to her either. Crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. So he's, they're following him. He left the one town, city that he was at with Jairus. He's walking the whole way. They picked up where he was at and the whole way they are following him. Son of David, have mercy on us. And he doesn't pay him any attention. Doesn't stop. Doesn't, what do you want me to do? Doesn't do any of that. He just keeps on walking until he gets to his destination and he goes into the house. 
Have you ever seen that when you read that before? He ignored them the entire trip until he gets in the house. He goes exactly where he wanted to go. He didn't change where he wanted to go. He went exactly where he wanted to go. And when he got in there, now he has no place else to go. And these guys followed him into the house. Have you ever had anybody be so bold as to follow you around the Walmart? Out into the parking lot. And you're thinking, why are they following me? And you get in your car, you drive home. And they followed you home. And then you get out of your car and you go into the house. And they come in the house with you. <laughs> you ever had anybody be that bold? No, this is kind of like what it is. They followed him from where he was at with Jairus. And they kept following him and kept calling out to him. How would you like it if someone was in the Walmart following you and kept calling out after you? Hey, give me some money. Or whatever they might ask you for. And you're just, just ignoring them. Just ignore them. Not going to pay any attention to them. And they follow you out into the parking lot. And they're still calling out after you. And they get all the way into your house. They come into your house. I know some of you are calling the police. Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. They came to him in the house. They didn't stop. These guys are persistent. But that's got to feel a little bit creepy, doesn't it? Now, I would love to know this. How are the blind men following Jesus? I would like to know that. When I get to heaven, I want to ask them, how did you follow Jesus? I believe that you did because it's written in the Word of God that you did. You followed Jesus. But how did you do it? Did you follow His voice? Was there someone there helping you? Oh, Jesus is going this way. Just, just follow me. I'll, I'll help you keep on going there. Not too many people who were in this condition of the places that we looked so far had someone who stayed with them the whole time. The rooftop paralytic, he seemed to have some, some friends who stayed with him the whole time. But you get the people like the, the guy at Bethesda, they just dropped them off. A lot of times people in these conditions, they just drop them off somewhere. If they're blind, we'll drop you off here. You can, you can beg and then we'll come back and we'll get you. Uh, how were they following him? I don't know. But somehow they were, they were following him because that's what it says right there. But did you ever stop to think, how do blind people follow somebody? Let's go on. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, now he acknowledges them, now he says something to them, but not until they get into the house. Do you believe that I am able to do this? Somehow, either Jesus figured out that they wanted to be have their vision restored, or he asked them, or they said something along the way, we want to see again. Usually, Jesus always asks you, what do you want me to do for you? He doesn't usually just put that on somebody. He'll ask, what do you want me to do for you? So, I would say that somewhere in the discourse of them continually following him and crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. They said, we want to see again. And so, he finally says to them when they're in the house. I don't know if you, if this was you and they followed you in the house, what would your words be? Get out of my house. Right? That's what we'd say. Get out of my house. He didn't say that. He says, do you believe 
that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. Now, we've looked at the different methods that Jesus uses for healing. We know that one of the things he does is, is through authority. He commands the thing and it goes. Another way is through their faith. Sometimes Jesus wasn't even involved. The woman with the issue of blood. She come and she touched the hem of his garment. It was her faith. He even said that. Uh, the centurion. It was his faith. But Jesus, his faith activated the authority on that. But other times there was the laying on of hands. So there was actually a physical touch that Jesus did. In this one, Jesus is using a physical touch. He is extending his, his hand out and he is touching their eyes. I don't know exactly. He doesn't give us the details. But the way I picture this is he's putting his hands on both of them at the same time. One on this one and one on this one. He's touching both of their eyes. One, on, one hand on each one. That's how I picture it. Wait to get to heaven and watch the videotape. Know for sure. But I don't think he does one at a time. I believe he does both of them at the same time here. But he says, do you believe that I am able to do this? Now, if he's going to minister to them through the gift of the Spirit, the gifts that are on him, the gift of healing or the gift of faith, whatever one he is needing to enact here, why does it matter what they believe? Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, let it be to you. Now, most times that he's engaging in their faith, he gives them something to do. No, rise, take up your bed and walk. Go wash in the pool. Something. He gives them something to do. The nobleman. Go home, your son lives. That was a tough thing to do. Go home. I don't know that anything's changed. I came trying to get you to come. You're not going to come. You're going to send me home without anybody. Just to believe the word. That was a step of faith for the man. Jesus usually gives a command, something for them to do. There's no command for them here to do. But they had followed him all this time. And they kept pressing him. Son of David, have mercy on us. Even to the point of approaching him in the house. So finally he says to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Now if they were not persistent and they didn't continue to follow Jesus all the way to the house and then go into the house, they wouldn't have encountered this spot. So there had to be something on the inside of them that drove them. I know if we can get Jesus to do whatever they're believing, lay hands on us, speak to us, whatever it might be. They had that belief down. If Jesus will do this. So verse 29 again, Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. Now just because the healing comes through a gift of healing, I put this in your outline for you. Just because it comes through a gift of healing or faith doesn't mean your faith is inactive. Sometimes people, they go up in a prayer line, the healing evangelist is there, and he's laying hands on people and they're seeing folks uh, get healed and they go on down to get hands laid on them and they feel like they're completely uninvolved. I'm just going to go down there and just receive my healing. And they go on down there and, well, they lay hands on me, but I didn't feel nothing. Nothing happened to me. I guess they're not anointed. I guess it's not there anymore. Remember some of the video teaching we put up, Brother Hagin would share some of those stories. Well, I guess so-and-so doesn't have it anymore. They used to have it. They don't have it now. No, you are not uninvolved even when the gifts of the spirits are going through someone. You're still involved. Your faith is still pulling that. So he says to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Now notice this. He did not say, do you believe that God is able to do this? Did he? 
Do you believe that I am able to do this? Now look at their words. Son of David, have mercy on us. They're asking him to have mercy. They expect him to do this. So he says to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, we do. And he touched their eyes and their eyes were opened. Seems like a very uneventful healing. We're not given a whole lot of details in this, are we? As we said, there were some people, it was through their obedience that we see the healing power come upon them. The um, man at Bethesda, lame man at Bethesda, the woman with the issue of blood, Jairus, the nobleman. But here, they have faith to re- they, they need to have faith to receive. He's going to minister through a gift, but they need to have faith to receive. Now, there's, the, there's gifts of healing in the body today. How many of y'all know there's gifts of healing in the body today? There's people that God has put the gift of healing on. And when that gift of healing is on that person, they, um, they can cut through a lot, of, uh, a lot of problems that you are having to receive. And it's, it's good to, to draw off that. We've uh, done it here a number of times. We've tried to bring out different ministers that, that have this. In fact, sometime we, we were bringing out one for, this is a long way back. Some of you folks will remember, but we brought out one and uh, we just, they just were never really ministering in that area. So I remember calling down to Raymond one time and I said, who do you have that we can bring? And they, they suggested somebody. And it was a couple and we brought them on in and uh, we brought them in. They were here for, we were doing longer meetings then, I believe it was three or four days. And I don't think they ministered in the gift of the healing that they had at all. The whole time they were here. And I just got kind of upset at that. And thinking, this is what we brought you. We didn't bring you out here because we wanted you to teach. We brought you out here because we wanted you to operate in that gift. And uh, not much of that was going on. And so I actually had a conversation with them. I said, look, we're bringing you out here. We want you to operate in that gift that is there. And so, okay, you know, well, well if you bring us on back on out, we'll, we'll go ahead and do it. So they brought them on, back on out. And they were ministering again. And most of the time they were here, they were teaching. They did a little bit in the, in the gift area, but it just wasn't a whole lot. And I just got to the point, you know what? I'm not doing that anymore. It's a, it's a whole lot of strain. You don't know how much of a strain it is when we bring in guest speakers, speakers in. Uh, I know it's a strain on you all to come on out here at nighttime, but you have no idea what goes on behind the scenes. But these people, for whatever the reason, the, the woman of the, of the pair, she wore me out. Both times, she, she just wore me out. I would tell my wife, I said, look, you take her. <laughs> you take her out to lunch. I don't even want to be there. Just take her out to lunch. Uh, I'll, I'll show up for the meeting. I didn't want to be there. Oh, it wore me out. And uh, we were down there in, in Florida one time. We ran into them. And I'm thinking, oh, this is not what I want to see on vacation. <laughs> that's, that's what's going on inside of me. This is not what I want to see on vacation. And we had this conversation with them. And, and um, we were talking with them. And they said, oh, yeah, well, if you want us to come on out, you know, we'll come on out and we'll make sure that we're, we're laying hands on people and, you know, the, all these things are going on in meetings where they're at. And, all right, we'll do it again. So we did it a third time. And as we're getting close to the meeting, the, the husband calls me up and he says, well, it's just going to be her. I'm doing other things. I'm thinking, oh, no, he was at least a buffer for me. He was at least a buffer that I had in that. And just her and I got her here for three days. Oh, you don't know how much I was not looking forward to a set of meetings here going on. And we, then the whole time she, that she was here, did not operate in that gift at all. All she did was sit here and teach. I thought, dear Lord, what's going on with that? See, people have a gift of healing. If you have that gift of healing, you need to operate in it. 
Have you ever watched some of the old time guys from the, the um, uh, what is it, the, the healing, the, can't think of it now, the healing revival that was going on? A lot of the people that were there. If you look hard on YouTube, you can find some old videos of these guys. I'm not going to mention any of their names, but you can find some old videos of these things. I've, listened, I've looked them up and I've listened to some of them. And I struggle with the teaching. Anybody else done that? I listen to them teach and I struggle. I said, wow, I cannot believe they are teaching like this. This is, this is horrible. Get off the teaching. Go out there and lay hands on them. And they would go off there and they would lay hands on people and some of the most astounding miracles would occur. And just the tremendous things would go on. Uh, people with these big tumors and they'd just go away. Just amazing stuff that would go on. And uh, that, because that's the gift. The gift's not there because they have any kind of a, uh, anointed teaching. They may have that, but the gift is there. God put that gift on them. Operate in it. Well, there was a time that I was... Uh, I, you know, looking for Monday teachings for y'all. I came upon somebody, not going to tell you who it was, but it was somebody that I knew and hadn't heard of for a while. And, oh, yeah, I remember them. They used to operate this way. And somebody from our church had actually been to one of his meetings and got hands laid on them. And it was just a tremendous time, absolutely tremendous time. They really ministered to him, spoke some things to him in the spirit and just really helped him out. And now I remember him telling me the story. It was just a trem- tremendous time. And, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And so I was watching the, the, the meeting, and glory to God, I got one that was one of those healing ministry, uh, ministry ones, and he just was laying hands on people. I was tremendous to watch this. I said, oh yeah, I forgot how much this guy, I wonder if we could just, maybe we can bring him out to the, to the thing, as long as there's somebody who's operating in the gift of, of healing. And so I went up there on his website to, to find it, found out he doesn't advertise as, a, as having the gift of healing at all. He doesn't put him outside, out he advertises himself as a coach, a life coach. And most of his time is spent out going out and helping people in life. Just actually to the stars. He's actually a life coach to the stars. He ministers to. I'm thinking, wait a minute. God put that, uh, this tremendous healing anointing on you. And you're out there wasting time doing this stuff. Oh, I'll tell you what, I was upset. <laughs> I said, God, we got to get some people in the body of Christ that have the gift of healing on them. And are willing to just go out there and lay hands on people minister to people and let that gift just flow through them and then people just receive from that but you see when you have somebody who's got that gift of healing on them you can't just you can't just park it you got to draw off of that remember jesus when he would be in there he could do no mighty work because of their unbelief except he laid his hands on a few sick people and they recovered there's a part on this that is for you you got to make sure that just because there's a gift of healing, just because they're up front and saying, well, God has put this particular gift of healing on me, you need to draw off of that. And if you say, well, how do you find out if you have a gift of healing? That's a good question. How do you find that out? It's simple. Go out there and lay hands on people. And we'll get to that part here at the end. But go out there and lay hands on people. As you lay hands on people, you're going to find something that every person I've ever heard has a gift of healing on. They tell you this. It seems like when I lay hands on people with this particular condition, they get healed easier. Brother Hagen would tell that. I forget some of them. I can't think of it right now, but I know there were like two or three conditions he would say that when he laid hands on them, he had a higher rate of people getting healed than others. You'll find some people that just seem to have a, a thing with uh, blindness or with deafness or, or things like that. There's just a, there's a healing anointing on them, but there seems to be an emphasis in a particular area. And if there is, draw off of it. But don't take 
Don't let your faith go to rest in the meeting. And don't let your faith go to rest after. Because you need to build yourself up if you're going to maintain that. Verse 30. And their eyes were opened. And their eyes were opened. So did they, did they receive? If they received, this tells me a couple of things. First, the gift was working in Jesus. And second, they drew off of it. Because he's talking about their faith. Do you believe? So their faith was there and they drew off of it and their eyes are open. Now, watch this. This is, this is good. And Jesus sternly warned them. Sternly warned them. How many of you have heard that before? He sternly warned them saying, See that no one knows it. Now in the story before this, one with Jairus, remember he told Jairus, don't tell anybody what happened. And so we told you what well, doesn't mean that don't tell her she didn't get well. They all thought that she was uh, dead. And he said, no, she's sleeping. That don't tell them that she was dead and she got raised. Just tell them she woke up. Don't tell anybody what happened. As far as we know, J. Iris did that. He, he obeyed. Here he says, see that no one knows it. That's a command, isn't it? But when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all that country. Did they obey? They did not. Now, I was meditating on this for a little bit in order to get the answer to this question. How many have ever had a child who was disobedient? <laughs> Pretty much all of them, right? But aren't some more disobedient than others? Isn't that the way that it goes? I mean, you could have two kids and one is more disobedient than others. You just know, given a certain situation, that child is going to choose to disobey. Willingly, blatantly, whatever. It doesn't happen all at once, right? It isn't just one day they went from being an obedient child to all of a sudden disobedient. Isn't that right? It's not an all-at-once thing. There's not one day, well, you know, you used to be a good, a good kid until June the 7th. That's not how it is. If they are disobedient after they are healed after they received something from Jesus and Jesus gave them a command if they are disobedient to Jesus after they received something that they wanted, what are the odds that they were disobedient before they received what they wanted? Think of it this way. How many have ever had that child who promised pure obedience if only you would, Right? If only you would give me the candy. If only you would buy this toy for me. If only you would do this, I'll be good. Have you ever heard that? And maybe you went along with it. What happened? They were not good. <laughs> it, it didn't last, right? Because you don't suddenly become disobedient. If they are disobedient here at the end, more than likely they were disobedient before. I don't know what they were disobedient in. But notice that Jesus never qualified their obedience. All he did was he asked them after it was done, see to it that you don't tell anybody about this. But they had departed. They spread the news about him in all the country. Now I put this here in your outline for you because I want you to make sure you get it. This is going to really help us out towards, when we get to the end of this, this section we're going to be looking at here. Faith to receive is more of a reach. If you wish to receive something with your faith, that's going to be a longer reach for you. Think of it this way. 
If you've got something in the upper cabinets in your kitchen, it's a reach. How many have assistants around there? A little ladder you can pull out and step up because it's a reach. It's hard to, to get up to that. When you want to receive something on your faith, it is generally a reach. It just seems to be somewhat out of your grasp. To receive what is given, you've got to take it. If somebody was going to come over here and give you money, if somebody was handing out money and they were handing money to you, you'd have to take it, right? You still have to reach out there and take it. These folks were going to receive something through the gift that was on Jesus, but they still had to take it in their faith they went and they took it. Now, there's a, there are thoughts that will come to your mind that will hinder you. Thoughts like this. I, I wrote down some. You can write some of these down if you want to, but you don't have to. But here's some of the thoughts that might hinder you. I don't deserve or I didn't earn this. Right? Now, I haven't been a Christian long enough. I haven't been a good Christian. I haven't been following after the things that I'm supposed to be doing. I don't deserve this. I didn't earn this. Or maybe I'm not worthy. Hey, but this, someone else probably needs it more. That's because you believe in a limited supply. He's only got so many healings he can hand out. Maybe somebody else needs it more than I do. But how many times have we looked at so far, and there's more to come, when Jesus had all the sick in the town brought out to him and he healed most of them. Half of them. Healed them all. How many times do we read that in the Word of God? He healed them all. Didn't seem like he was uh, lacking any. He had plenty of healing to go out. Now Israel, if you remember them in the Old Testament, they were given the promised land by God. God said, I'll give you the land. He decreed it. God considered that land theirs while they're watering in the wilderness. But they still had to go into the land and possess it. They had to receive it. They had to use their faith to go out there and fight the battles and take it. God already decreed it that it was theirs, but they still had to go out there and do something. Now, as we said to you, faith to receive is more of a reach. But faith to release is more relaxed. How many have ever heard it said, maybe even thought this, well, how can I pray for others to be healed when I am not healed myself? You ever heard that? Yeah. Let me tell you this. Let me let you know a little secret. It's a whole lot easier to administer healing than it is to receive it. Faith to receive is a reach. When you're giving in the area of faith, it's a lot more relaxed because the reaching is on the other people. It's a lot more relaxed. It's not as much work. In fact, you will build up your faith more by going out there and laying hands on people then you will sit back trying to build up your faith to get to that get to that spot. Don't do that. Go out there. Now, the devil loves this lie because that keeps you from going out there and laying hands on people. And if you're not going out there and laying hands on people and seeing people get well, then people aren't coming to God. He loves that lie. Don't let that continue on. Just because your faith hasn't brought healing for you doesn't mean you don't have faith to get healing for others. Get out there, lay hands on people. Well, we don't have anything in the Word of God where Jesus ever qualified anybody. Well, let's see how obedient he been. How often have you been going to uh, 
to synagogue on, on the Sabbath? Have you been making it every, every Sabbath? Oh, you missed a couple, huh? Hmm, all right. Well, that's a couple. couple. Let's see what else we can do. How many times have you given to the poor this, this month? Oh, not, not at all? Hmm, we're not doing so well here. He doesn't qualify anybody with that, does he? But if these people failed to obey what Jesus said right after they got what they wanted, what they asked Jesus for, why are we going to think that they would obey any commands before that? Now, remember the man of Bethesda? He obeyed what Jesus said, rise, take up your pallet and walk. Take up your bed and walk. But then he was running to the, to the Pharisees, telling them about Jesus. Well, it was, it was him. It was the guy. It didn't seem like he made the, quite the change that needed to, to go on. Well, your lack of obedience or presence of obedience doesn't seem to qualify you for healing. What does is your faith. That's all. Can you believe? Do you believe that I am able to do this? That's what Jesus said to him. But Jesus seems to expect some obedience after they receive the healing. We've noticed this on a few times. He's told them, asked them to do some, some things. Last week, we're looking at the man called Legion and he wanted to follow Jesus. And Jesus said to him, no, but go to your home. Tell the people around there what Jesus has done for you. We spent some time looking at that. That's one person he said, no, I don't want you to come with me. I want you to go and I want you to spread the news. He doesn't always say that. We have to make sure that we stay obedient before, during, and after. Make sure that you, that you do those things. Because the condition that we have afterwards is, is very important. Remember the exhortation that Jesus made to the man at Bethesda we just talked about? What about his teaching? What happens when a demon is cast out of a person? That demon goes and finds seven others worse than themselves. And they come and they possess the man. And that state of the man is worse than the one before. Don't stay as you are. Increase your obedience. Now take a look at this story here in verse 32. That story should help you out with this. That one we just looked at. They were not in perfect obedience. Did they receive healing? Sure did. Don't let the devil tie you up. Well, you haven't brought that area in your life under obedience yet. And until you do, you're not going to get healed. That is garbage. That is not in the Word of God. Don't listen to it. Don't take it in. Cast it out. It's a wrong thought. Verse 32, And as they went out, behold, they brought to him a man, mute and demon-possessed, when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke and the multitudes marveled, saying, it has never been like this in Israel. Now the man can speak, but he does not because a demon makes him mute. Now it would seem that he was able to speak before and had even done so because he learned the language. Once the demon is cast out, he speaks. He's not a, an infant where he's got to learn how to speak. He's got to learn the language. No, that's true. So he must have been speaking then he became demon-possessed. However, he became demon-possessed. We don't, not really told much about that. And then he couldn't speak anymore. It's, I think it's interesting that it seems that one demon possessed this man and caused him to be mute. And there were thousands in the, the man uh, last week, in Mark chapter 5, and not one of them made him mute. In fact, he was out there screaming and hollering, making all kinds of a ruckus. But this one made him mute. Don't go out there thinking that every time you run into somebody who can't talk, it's a demon. The Bible's not teaching that. It's just teaching that here in this particular case, he couldn't speak and it was because of a demon. 
To me, it seems like demons can either cause the wrong speech, like we saw with the man last week, or no speech. But they sure don't inspire you for right speech. Now, it would seem safe to assume that this demon is cast out the same way that the others were by Jesus' command. Jesus said, come out of him. That's how we always see it before. Not a whole lot is said about this one. All we have here is that uh, when the demon was cast out, well, how was the demon cast out? Well, I imagine the same way all the other ones were in the Word of God. It says that they brought him to Jesus. Now, this man is not lame. The other, the, the rooftop paralytic, he was lame. They carried him in there. A lot of the lame people, they're carrying him into the place. They don't have to carry this guy. He can walk. He's not blind. He can see where he's going. But it says that they brought him. But he didn't come on his own. They brought him. Now, we don't know what extent that is. Remember in some of the mass meetings that we had described, they brought to him those that were sick and those that were demon-possessed. They brought him. So this is like one of those situations. They, someone, some people brought him. He was demon-possessed. He couldn't speak. And some people brought him. Now, I don't know what this is. It could be, I don't want to go. And they brought him. I, it could be that way. I think more than likely, this man is tired of his state that he's in. And he wants to go. And however it is that he communicates, will you go with me? We'll go with you. Have you ever had people? You just want them to go with you. And uh, would, you, would you mind driving me there? You could drive. But you know, would you mind driving me there? No, no, no. We don't mind that at all. We'll go and we'll sit with you and whatever the thing is that you're going to do. I, I think it's going to be more along these lines. This man wanted to make the trip. He wanted to get to Jesus. But he just didn't want to go by himself. And so people brought him. And there, maybe they were helping to communicate. Because, you know, if I get there to Jesus, he, maybe he communicates with them by writing down things. And if I get there to Jesus, how's he going to know what I want him to do? Can you go and tell him? Can you go with me? And so these people brought him and they probably communicated to him some of the things that had occurred, some of the things that were surrounding his situation, but none of it's recorded. But he was brought. But it would seem to me that this man wanted to be set free. He wanted to be able to speak again. He wanted that demon spirit to go. Brought people along to help him communicate this to Jesus. And it just says in the Word, and when the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke. But look at this. And the multitudes marveled, saying it was never like this in Israel. Now, we don't know what all happened, but whatever did happen, these folks are amazed at it. They marveled. Wow, did you... Did you see what's going on with it? That was something. They marveled at what was going on. How much this man wanted this healing, it's not pointed out. Most of the people that we see, they, they were some desire for it. I would say it's going to be in that neck of the woods. He may have wanted it greatly. And others just came along for him for support. He cannot come away with any conclusion, though, that would that would involve casting out a demon from one who doesn't want it cast out. You cannot conclude that from this story. Some people would try, but there's nothing to support it. There's nothing to build on that with. Now, not everybody is amazed. Verse 34. But the Pharisee said he cast out demons by the ruler of the demons. So the people are amazed. 
the uh, the man who had it cast out, they I'm sure he was amazed and he was glad. But the Pharisees are looking at this and say, ah, he he cast out demons by the ruler of the demons. See, an accusation is made based on ignorance, envy, jealousy, and or a desire to mislead people. It's still the same today. People will do the same thing. There's sometimes people just want to mislead you. They have no basis for this at all. In this particular instance, there is no defense offered by Jesus. Other places there is. In this one, he doesn't offer any defense. Some people will just go along with the critics who put down what's being done to help people. You all know that. There's folks out there trying to help people and then people just stand up and they just criticize what it is that they're doing. They're not helping anybody. But they'll sure criticize you for doing it. But others will maintain their view based on its benefits, spiritual source, or maybe they just see them through the motives of the critics. That might be. But as we said, Jesus offers no defense here. When he does offer, and there are a couple of places where he does offer it. I think I wrote in Matthew 12 and in Luke 11, you'll see he makes a defense. And he'll say some things about it. Not this one. But when he does make a, a, a defense on it, it doesn't seem to be aimed at changing the critics. Just the people around giving them something to think about. Let's go on here in verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the, criti- the, the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Sure doesn't seem like there's any shortage of healing. Don't let the devil tell you, well, God doesn't have enough. Maybe he, you'll just hang on to your sickness for a little while. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So after all this was going on and the the critics rose up and they started saying, well, he was only casting out demons because he's the ruler of the demons. That's how it is. Jesus just moves on. He just goes on and look what he does. Verse 35 again. He's teaching in their synagogues. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Best thing you can do about the critics that are in your life is just keep on going and doing what God called you to do. Keep doing your job. Don't don't uh, waste time with them. Just keep on going. That's what he did. He just kept on going. And then he looks at this and says, look at all these people out here. Right now, I'm the only one teaching them. I'm the only one preaching. I'm the only one healing their sick. He says, you need to pray for the, the Lord of the harvest to send more laborers in the field. Boy, what we could do if we had some more laborers in the field. Oh, what we could do if we had more people going out into the field and we're preaching, teaching, and laying hands on the sick. Boy, it would change some things. He had compassion for the people. But he said that compassion leads him to look for more laborers. He says, pray. That's what he has to be done. He sent others out. But he asked, he says, you all need to pray. Verse 1 of chapter 10. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, 
He gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who's called Peter, Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, and Labaius whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot who also betrayed him. Now we got three groups here that we've been talking about in this this uh, passage. We got first off we have the critics. We have those that received and here we have those that are sent. Out of those three, which group are you going to be in? Are you going to be among the critics? You see if you're among the critics, you're not going to be among the receivers. If you're among the receivers, you're not going to be among the critics. If you're going to be in the receivers, you won't be a critic. If you're going to be a critic, you won't be one of the receivers. And if you're one of those that are, so I'm going to go, I'm going to be one of those laborers that are sent. Well, you can still be one who is sent and be a receiver, but you sure won't be a critic. Which group are you going to be in? Now, in Mark and Luke's account of this, when they talk about Jesus sending these out, Mark puts it this way, Mark 6, 13, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Luke adds this about the sending out of the twelve. So they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. They departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel. That's what Jesus said he wanted to do. We need some more preaching. We need some more teaching. And healing everywhere. Now they didn't have a whole lot of experience. We're still early on in Jesus' ministry. All they were doing was watching. That's it. They just watched. But boy, they had great success. Don't let the devil talk you out of laying hands on people or going out and preaching. You all know some stuff. You've learned some things in the Word. Go out and teach it to other people. Teach what you know. It's always the best thing to do. Go out there and teach what you know. Find some people at work having a question. Help them out with it. This is what I know from the Word of God. This is what the Word of God tells us about this thing. You got some people at work. You got some people in the neighborhood. They're ill. Lay hands on them. Don't let the devil talk you out. Well, if you only were better. Don't be doing that. Let's get here to the end of this. As we said, the faith to release is more relaxed. It's just easier. It's just more relaxed. It is better and easier to give than receive. We've all heard that first part. It's better to give than receive. It's also easier. Most people feel that since I don't receive as well as I should, I'm also not able to give or release. That is wrong you are probably going to find it far easier to give and release than you are to receive. The more that you exercise your faith in giving or releasing, the more I am able to take in receiving. You will increase your ability to receive if you increase what you give. Set your focus on being a releaser of the power of God. And you will find yourself a better receiver of what he has given. How many times have you been out in the world and you see an opportunity and you talk yourself out of it? I don't think I'm qualified. I don't think I know enough. I don't think I'm anointed enough. I don't think I'm obedient enough. All kinds of things that you might come up with. These are reasons why I can't do this. Stop talking yourself out of it. 
It is not going to be the Spirit of God who talks you out of it. Look at Jesus with the disciples. He doesn't tell any of them. You know, you're not quite as good at this as Peter. He doesn't do that. He sends all 12 of them out. And all that Vanilla do is watch Jesus. That's it. Now he says, go out there and do it. And they did. And they came back and they were amazed. How much faith do you have when you're amazed that it worked? They came back and they were amazed. Even the demons are subject to us. Wow, this is cool. Don't feel that just because your life isn't as obedient as you feel it should be, that you are disqualified. Because you're not. You are qualified to receive. You are qualified to give. I hope that helps you out to understand that. Because this is one thing. You, these are short, short stories about the healing that went on. But oh, it's good for us to know. Even though they apparently were not all that obedient. And they still received their healing. Would you all stand up with me? Father, you want us to be releasers of your power. You told us all that we can lay hands on the sick and they will recover. All we need to do is believe. And as we do that, we're going to find that some of us have some of those gifts that you talked about in your word. Gifts of healing, gifts of faith, working of miracles. We won't find it if we're sitting around waiting. But if we step out and we start giving, we're going to begin to see these things. And I thank you for the help that you give us on it. That you have qualified us not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done. And we give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.